Welcome to another encouraging message from Pastor Jason Yalbron, lead pastor of One Community Church located in El Dorado, Arkansas. For information about the ministry of Pastor Jason or One Community Church, please visit our website at occeldorado.com. Or you can find us on Facebook by searching One Community Church El Dorado. If you have your Bibles today, go with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue the message series that we started last week called The Kingdom Prayer. So Matthew chapter 6 is where I want to take my text today. And I'm going fast because I have a lot of content that I need to share with you today. Is that okay? Um, today will be more teaching. Today uh, we'll, we'll cover a lot of ground, so I need you guys to be as intent as possible. And please stay with me, okay? Don't get bored. Stay with me. I'm, I'm, I'm teaching you something, and I'm laying some foundation that I really need you to grab a hold of, okay? So hang with us as we do that. Now... I don't know if you've noticed a pattern with my series that I do, but when I do a series, what I typically do is I go in at first with a lot of foundational stuff. So I teach you a lot of stuff. And then if you'll notice the pattern to my series, I end the series with more practical things. Have you ever noticed that about me? So I hit you with a lot of information, I build a foundation, and then we hit some more practical things that uh, I call it news that you can use and take home with you. And, of course, all of you like that, and I know you like that, but we need foundational teaching. Uh, when we don't have foundational teaching, we get an error. Okay, we do, and it's where you get flaky Christians. Flaky Christians are Christians who don't have substantial teaching and foundation in the Word of God. And unfortunately, in our time, in our day, now when I was young growing up in church, it was a little different. It was a different type culture and society we went to church a lot, so we got a lot of teaching. Nowadays, we're lucky to get you here one time a week. And so there's not a lot of time to give you foundational things. And when you don't have foundational things, you struggle. And, and it's where we get a lot of this, this um, consumerism Christianity, if you will. What can you do with me? Give me something. Get my attention. Do a concert. Do something fun but there's no foundation there. So we want to make sure at One Community we're laying foundation and we're giving you foundational principles and things that, that you can have to make you grow as a believer. How many of you want to grow? Okay, I do, and I hope that you do, and that's the goal here. So anyway, hang with me. Now, when I come back the, the last Sunday of March, I'm going to give you the practical side of this message. Um, in fact, what we'll be doing the last Sunday of this message is we'll be covering the part, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So I'm going to, because of time, I don't have the time, I will skip the daily bread part and, lead, and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. I'm skipping that part for several reasons, but number one, I'm skipping that part because we just did the label series and we did an entire message on offense and forgiveness. So we've covered that pretty recently, right? So I'm going to skip that part. Now, I'm mixing daily bread all through the series, in case you haven't noticed. Okay, so all of that's in all of the messages, the daily bread part. So we're going to skip that part, and we're going to go right into the following Sunday, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This message will be practical. It will be the, in the label series, we did the message 
on offense that everybody liked and is going crazy online. Okay, that message is getting a lot of hits. So the last Sunday of this month, I will do that type of message, okay? It's going to be practical. I'm going to hit you with truth bombs. You name it. It's in that message, and it's going to be fun. So we'll do that. But today, what are we doing today? We're laying a foundation. Matthew chapter 6, let's read it. There's going to be a lot of scriptures. Try to keep up. We've, we've given the media team a lot today, so they're going to get a workout. That's Mr. Gabe. He's getting a workout today. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Let's read this prayer together. They asked Jesus how to pray, and this is how he said it. Our Father in heaven, come on, say it with me, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Today we're going to dive into the kingdom. We're going to talk a lot about kingdom. Three things to have a kingdom. We don't have this, but we have a lot of stuff that will content we'll put up on the screen, but I didn't give them this, so write this down. Three things to have a kingdom. Number one, you have to have a king. Number two, you have to have subjects, citizens, or disciples. And number three, you have to have a domain. So these are the three things to have a kingdom. So to be a king, you have to have citizens, and you have to have a domain to rule over. When you put those two words together, king and domain, you have the word kingdom. So those two words put together gives us the word kingdom. I'll give you a lot of scripture. Write these down. By the way, you can also go to our YouTube channel or one of our podcasts, and you can break these messages down throughout the week and get a lot of this content. You could listen to them 10 times and get 10 different things out of them. Okay? But I'm going to give you these real fast. Jot them down because you won't be able to keep up. Zechariah 14, 9. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord in his name, the only name. This is a prophecy about the coming king, Jesus. Let's talk about citizens. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. And when we have... In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So now we have a king, we have subjects, our citizens. Now let's talk about the king's domain. To do that, let's go to 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty, for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted head above it all. Amazing that she sang, we sang that song just a moment ago. I think she's been looking at my notes on my nightstand. And by the way, she and I rarely talk about our services and God always orchestrates the songs to go with the message. Amazing. So this is telling us God's domain is both heaven and earth. 
It's the duality of both. So that's God's domain, heaven and earth. So this to me brings a conflict which we have to address. So when Jesus says your kingdom come and your will be done, then he's given us an outdated prayer. There would be no need for the kingdom to come on earth if we already had the kingdom on earth. But wait a minute, Chronicles said all of it belongs to God. So Chronicles is referring to him as creator, as the originator. But the issue Jesus is referencing when he says we must pray for the kingdom to come was brought about because of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. Sin was a big deal. When sin happened in the garden, it changed everything. So what this is referring to, what Jesus is saying here when he says your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, here's what he's saying. Adam was the bridge between heaven and earth before the fall. He had full authority on the earth, and the word is called, in the Bible, the word is called dominion. Listen to that word, dominion. It has the word dome in it. It is where we get the word domain. So what that's saying is Adam had full authority on earth. He was the bridge between earth and heaven. But now because of sin, Adam and Eve's sin, Adam can't be the bridge anymore between heaven and earth. Heaven, as we established last week, is perfection. If sin was there in heaven, it wouldn't be perfect anymore. Does that make sense? Because of sin, Adam lost his authority on earth. So when Chronicles says that he rules over the heavens and the earth and that it is all his, of course it is. He created it. He's the originator of it. But Jesus is talking about access and dominion. When Adam and Eve sinned, access and dominion was lost at that point because of sin. So we needed somebody without sin to appropriate for the kingdom here on earth. And the, the Bible refers to Jesus as the second man, Adam. So Jesus becomes the bridge between heaven and earth. Another way to say that is Jesus heals what was broken between heaven and earth. So now we have access from heaven to earth. That's what this is saying. Man, that's something to shout about. To sum this up, even though God owned everything, there was a foreign, dark, destructive kingdom that had come on earth with permission, might I add, from Adam and Eve. God sent his son to earth to buy back. The word we used, and you hear this word a lot at Easter, the word we use for buy back is the word redeem. So Jesus came to buy back, to redeem what was lost by sin in the Garden of Eden, to bridge the gap between heaven and earth, so now we have access again between heaven and earth. Jesus became that bridge. Does that make sense? Everybody clear on that? Okay, so he bought it back, the authority that was lost. So Jesus' prayer here was not outdated at all. In fact, he is quoted by, by saying or saying, the kingdom is near, the kingdom is at hand. By the way, if you read the Gospels, Jesus says the word kingdom a lot, a lot. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Okay? He says the kingdom is near, the kingdom is at hand. He says the kingdom is coming soon. Okay, watch this. Matthew 4, verse 17. We got that scripture, put it up there. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The word repent comes from the same word in the English language that we get, we have the word penthouse, meaning returning to the top. 
So essentially, Jesus is saying the kingdom has come near to you and the door is opening. Return to the top of God's calling for your life. That's what repentance is. Repentance is not groveling and poor pitiful me and I'm a horrible person. I messed up. I blew it. You know, I'll never get forgiveness, but I'm, a, I'm just a low scum of the earth. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is returning to God's best for your life. That, that's what repentance is. What I want you to see is the kingdom come when Jesus died and was buried and rose again. That's when the kingdom came. He, he, he bought back the authority that was lost from Adam. That's why in his lifetime he would say the kingdom is near because he was in their midst. Does that make sense? After he rose, we, get, we go from the kingdom is near to the kingdom is here. <laughs> That's good. So in Matthew 28, look at, look at these words of Jesus in verses 18 through 20, I believe. It says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So in other words, I did it. I bridged the gap. That's what he's saying. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, a lot of denominations and a lot of churches, um, they're always looking toward heaven. And I love the subject of heaven. I'm probably going to preach on heaven on Easter so we need to talk about heaven and we need to lay foundation for heaven and all that. And heaven is great. But when we're always looking ahead to heaven, we're not praying your kingdom come. We're praying, can we go? <laughs> when they asked Jesus to teach us how to pray, Jesus didn't say, start the prayer like this. Get the first flight out of here. That's not what he said. He said to pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He didn't say, get out of here. He's saying that while you're here, while you're here, there is work for you, for you to do. And we're going to talk about that here in a moment. That's not what Jesus said. He didn't say, get the first flat out of here. See, the kingdom came when Jesus gave his life. Death, burial, resurrection. So the kingdom is now too. We believe at One Community Church, I like to say it like this. His kingdom has come. His kingdom is coming, and it shall come. In other words, it's an ever-increasing kingdom. Okay, so let's not wait around until Jesus comes to rescue us because we are accountable for what we're doing for the kingdom right this minute. The greatest thing God will ever do for you, He's already done for you. He gave you Jesus. Jesus is the greatest thing, the greatest gift God has ever done and ever will do. And because he gave us Jesus, the kingdom has come right now. So let's ask a question. When does the kingdom expand? Can we put that slide up? When does the kingdom expand? And I gave you the answer. The kingdom expands when the will of the king is established through four things. And here they are. Number one, law. Everybody shout out law. Number two, culture. Everybody say culture. Number three, language. And number four, what? Mission. These are not in order because mission is the highest priority of the kingdom. Not law, not culture, not language. These 
other three things support the last thing, which is mission. Everybody shout out mission. If you're taking notes, I want you to write it like this. They're going to put up a, a slide for you. I would rather you, if you're taking notes, I would rather you write it like this in a circle. The reason I like these in a circle is because each lends its support to the next one. So we need every one of these, but mission is the goal right here. But law, culture, and language support the mission. Everybody say it again, mission. Mission is what keeps this circle or wheel turning. I love the Old Testament. I love reading from the Old Testament. I probably read from the Old Testament more than the New Testament. And the only reason for that is because the Old Testament, there's more of it. There's more content. But the Old Testament is made up of 613 laws that were nearly impossible for everyone to live up to. However, that doesn't mean we ditch the law. It's part of the wheel or the circle. Does that make sense? Here's the next slide. Write this down. Law produces a standard to protect the mission. Law produces a standard to protect the mission. Now, we don't like the law of speeding when we get pulled over. Anybody got pulled over? Are you brave enough to admit it lately? Oh, some brave people. Camden is, what, four years old, and he's only got turned up, pulled over for speeding. So it's awesome. His daddy's going to pay a lot of tickets. So we don't like the law of speeding, but we do like the law that keeps people out of our homes and off our property. Is that right? We appreciate laws because they what? Here's the word. When you think of law, laws protect us. We may not like the consequences of laws, but we appreciate that they're there. Am I right? When you think of laws, I want you to think of three things. He's going to put them up here for you. I want you to think of boundaries, ter territory, and governance. When you think of the word law, I don't want you to think of rule book. I don't want you to think of a bunch of rules that i got to follow, and if I don't follow those rules, then somebody's going to spank me. That's not what I'm talking about here. When you think of laws, I want you to think of boundaries, territory, and governance. That makes sense to y'all? Okay. I don't know if you've ever been out of the country or not, but I have. If you've ever been to a third world country or a communist country, you're going to recognize really fast that you're not in America anymore. And what... You know, whether you see it or not, you're going to feel it. No one has to tell you, but you're going to know you're under a different set of laws and governance. It's just, you just feel it. No one has to tell you what they are. You just know, hey, I'm somewhere different. It feels different. I'm in another kingdom, really, is what you're saying. So Jesus flipped the script from the law being on paper or tablets to the law being in our heart. So we're not getting rid of the law. In fact, I believe Jesus elevated the law. That's my personal belief. Do you know the scripture where Jesus says, if you even, they're, they're talking about the Ten Commandments, and, he, and he's like, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, he said, you've committed adultery. Do you see, we, we didn't omit the law, we just took the law to another level with Jesus, in my opinion. Okay? So the law is there for a reason. There, there's, there, the law protects us. Here's the thing. Law was given to protect them in the Old Testament, watch these words, so they could live longer, flourishing, more productive lives. That's the reason for law, okay? 
This is not so much legalism as it is going against the idea. In other words, it's not God punishing you when you break the law. It's you punishing yourself. Have you all ever heard this? Sin is hard on you. Have you ever heard that? Uh, you've probably had this happen to you, perhaps, but someone you graduated high school with, you see them 30, 40 years later, and they look 20 to 30 years older than you. Have you ever, have you ever experienced that? And people will say the reason for that is is because they lived a hard life. Okay, What they're really saying is they lived a sinful life. Okay? They, they engaged in things that were harmful to their body, and now their body is paying for it. So in other words, the law was given to protect us, to make us healthy, to make us live long, productive lives. When we go against that law and we go out into sin, we go out from under the covering of the law, which means our bodies are no longer protected. Have we got any spring forward hangovers going? I'm looking in your faces, so you better wake up, okay? Does that make sense to y'all? Sin is hard on you. The law protects you. This is how you live a good, healthy life is what God is saying. When you go out from under the law, it gets sketchy fast. So we can find a loophole for everything to get out of the law, but the idea here is this is not good for you. Even down to what we eat. Now, if I were to go into the daily bread part of this message, I would take you back to the manna in the Old Testament, which the manna was what God rained down from heaven for them to eat in the wilderness. It was the perfect whole food. It had fiber. It had, it had protein. It had everything they needed to sustain their body. That's how detailed our God is. The law keeps you healthy and alive. When you put excessive harmful things in your body, there are consequences for those things. This is not God punishing you. This is you punishing yourself. Okay? Sin has consequences, habitually or otherwise. Sex, for example. When sex is done outside of the confines of holy matrimony. I got your attention now. I love it. I said the word sex. Everybody woke up. I mean, that's so amazing. Okay. When you have sex outside of the context of holy matrimony, when you come out from under the covering of the way God intended sex to be, a husband and a wife, male and female, when you come out from under that, it gets unsafe real fast. Okay? That's why there's all these sexual diseases that we have in our world today. You could actually sleep with somebody, have one moment of weakness, and, and have a disease the rest of your life and die a premature death. See, do you see how when you get out from under the protection of that? Uh, I was reading yesterday in my daily reading in Corinthians, and, and, and in that passage, it talks about when you, when you sin sexually, it's a sin against your own body. In other words, it's hard on your body. It's unhealthy for your body. That's what it's saying. When it's done incorrectly outside of marriage, it's not protected. Everybody say not protected. Both physically and mentally. So it's not just the physical toll that it takes on your body, it's the mental toll that it takes on your body when you have sex outside of the laws and confines of what God created it to be, the originator, how he created it. Does that make sense? Okay, so it gets unhealthy very, very fast. I've never met a person in all of my life, 
and I don't mean this condemning, and I'm not condemning anyone, but I've never met a person that was completely whole, that lived outside of the confines, even sexually, in what I'm trying to describe today. I've never met that person. I'm not saying they're not talented or gifted. I'm not saying that, and I'm talking about homosexuality and transgender and all these things that we're dealing with in our world today. I'm not saying there's not talented people that, that are part of that. But I am saying this, I've yet to meet one that was whole, both physically, mentally, and spiritually. I, not yet. I've never met that person. On the flops, opposite side of this, I have met plenty of people who do it God's way and are healthy and whole and productive. Okay? Do you see when you come outside of the protection of that, it gets very unhealthy? America is breaking down morally, ethically, and sexually. And the more we're outside of the governance of God, this is what happens. It becomes the Wild West. Okay? When we open Pandora's box, it becomes very sketchy and it becomes the Wild West, which means there's no law, there's no governance, there's no territory. We're outside of that, and America is doing that right now. We are so outside the boundaries. Okay? Now watch this. <clears throat> when we say the Wild West, we're mean, what we're saying is there's no law. Wild West refers to no governance. Wild West refers to no sheriff in town. It means to kill or be killed. It was use or abuse. It's protection from disease and evil people. And when you mingle things that don't belong together, whether it be sexually or chemically in your body, there's not protection there. Does that make sense? Things that don't belong. Jesus said, I have come to fulfill the law. Because of Jesus, now the law is written on our hearts. And let's not try to find loopholes to get out from under the law. Amen, church. Write this down. He's going to put it on the screen. The kingdom grows from the inside out, not the outside in. The kingdom grows from the inside out, not the outside in. Matthew 6, This is a verse that is misquoted. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. What does it say? And his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. We misquote this verse all the time. And we say, seek ye first the kingdom and all these things will be added. We leave out the secret sauce, which is righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. So what he's saying is, Jesus is saying, I didn't omit the law. I'm just writing it on your heart. Seeking his righteousness means I want to know what his thoughts are and I want to go above that. Okay? I don't want to find a, a, loophole in the rule, a, a loophole in the rule book to find a way to get out of things. I've done that and you've done that. Have you ever done that? I've done that. I have looked for ways to get out of things like tithing, for example. Um, I don't have a problem tithing weekly or bi-weekly. I've never had an issue with that. But how about when I get extra money? And then I start trying to justify, well, I really shouldn't have to tithe off of that, because technically I think I did. And what's so crazy about that is, is when I'm trying to find a loophole out of something, what's, cra what's crazy is, is that I'm trying to get out of something that ultimately blesses me, which is asinine, okay? So I don't want to do that. Here's number two, culture. Everybody say culture. Culture is created by established priorities. Write that down. Culture is created by established priorities. Whatever is a priority will become culture. 
If watching TV is a priority in your home, then that becomes the culture of your home. Amen? And your kids are surely to follow. Your kids will adopt that culture. If if God is priority in your home, then that becomes the culture of your home. If going to church is priority, then that becomes the priority of your home, which means it becomes the culture of your home. Everybody still with me? Okay. Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Do you see that? As for me and my house, that's priority. We will serve the Lord. That's culture. Here's number three. Language. I didn't give them this, but write this down. Language is paramount to establishing a kingdom. Language is paramount to establishing a kingdom. Do you all remember the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis? God said that nothing will be impossible for them because they're united. Before the Tower of Babel, everybody spoke one language. When the Tower of Babel came, God confused their language. Okay? This is what the big deal is about Acts chapter 2 in the Bible on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell and the Bible says, I'm fixing to walk out here because y'all are looking very sleepy. All right, we're coming out here now. Okay. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that cloven tongues of fire came on them. Is that right? Okay. So when that happened, this is what, when we talk about what happened in Acts chapter 2, in fact, if you'll put up Acts chapter 2, verse 6, it says they began to speak languages that other people could understand. It was not their native language. It was not their native dialect. They did not understand even what they were saying, but they were speaking a language in another dialect so other people could understand the gospel and come to find Jesus. Does that make sense? This is what we would call the gift of tongues, okay? The gift of tongues. Now, if you read in the New Testament, there's also what is called a prayer language, which is a language only you and God, not you, but only God understands. It's a heavenly language between you and God. Now, I like the word tongues because tongues is in the Bible. That's how the Bible references what this is, this language. He calls it tongues. But I don't like tongues because of the negative connotation in our culture that's on tongues. And people get weirded out over it and they get scared of tongues. So I would rather call it a language. Let's let's throw out the word tongue. Let's just call it a language. Everybody shout out a language. Okay, what's crazy to me is, is people get so weirded out over tongues, which all it is is a language. Where do you think language came from to begin with? Who created language? God did. At the Tower of Babel, He created language, right? So why would we get weirded out and scared of something that is just a language? The other day, I've been dealing with a Hispanic man. And I was, he, he speaks very good English. And we were communicating, and... As we're communicating, I asked him a question. He said, man, I don't know the answer to that question. He said, let me call my friend and let's ask my friend the answer to your question. So he picks up the phone. Well, unbeknowing to me, he's talking to another Spanish-speaking man on the phone. And I'm sitting there and he calls him. And so they start speaking Spanish. And I'm like, I have no idea what in the world they're talking about. And to me, it took way too long. 
I'm like, just asking the question, hang up. Man, they talked, it seemed like for an hour. And I'm like, would you hurry up? I just need the answer to the question. I'm trying to pick up on voice patterns. You know, like, I'm, I think he's getting off the phone, but I'm not sure. But I want you to notice something. When he began to speak in another language, to be honest with you, as I'm sitting here listening to that, I'm like, this is crazy. I don't understand anything. It sounded like he was going, I didn't understand anything he was saying. But notice, I didn't go, that's a cult. Those people are devil worshipers. I didn't do, I didn't run. I didn't hide. I didn't get scared to death. I didn't get weirded out. Why? He was speaking another language. He and the guy on the phone understood very well. I just didn't. That is what tongues is. It's another language. And missionaries, uh, I've watched this happen in services where people will be using the gift of tongues and someone from another country, that is their native tongue. And they understand everything they're saying, but the person speaking it has no idea what they're saying. There's also a prayer language. A prayer language is something only you and God can understand. Or God can understand. You don't understand it, but God understands it. Does that make sense? So everybody say language. Did you know even in America, in our English language, in our dialect, we have different ways of communication? If you don't believe that, talk to a young person. You don't have a clue what they're talking about. I have two really teenagers in my home, and I don't understand them so often. I don't, I don't, what are y'all even talking about? I mean, they don't use the word cool anymore. They use lit and slick. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Somebody's getting blessed over here. Jason, I should have known it was Jason. <laughs> All right, so here, I'm going to teach you something right here that was worth getting up coming to church today. Are you ready? I'm fixing to teach you something. Let's talk about marriage. Did you know in marriage there is different languages? Well, you, you say, no, we speak English. And a lot of times you go, I don't understand why she don't understand English. <laughs> Do I need to ask for a show of hands? <laughs> I got men already going, yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of women that don't understand. So there's different language in marriage. I'm not talking about love language by Gary Chapman, although that's an awesome thing to learn is your partner's love language, okay? But each of us speak a different language. Now, I want to say this. You ought to write this down. We need to learn to be bilingual in our marriage. What do you mean by that? We need to learn each other's communication style. Okay? For example, men have a, their own language. It sounds like this. Oh, oh, <laughs> and, and so somebody will look at the wife and she will interpret what he just said. <laughs> That's good. All right. 
Some people are contemplators. Some people are movers. Some people are verbal processors. Every husband and wife probably have the opposite language from each other, which means a communication style is a better way to say that. Experts say it would take you 31 conversations to understand the same thing. 32. (laughs) Okay. Alicia and I, we're both pretty quiet people. We're kind of introverts. And so... By the time we get home, we've, we're talked out at church. Like, we use all of our communication that's church. So when we get home, we just kind of look at each other and just in silence. Now, think about how long it would take for us to have 31 different conversations to understand the same thing. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? This happens all the time in my marriage. I'm like, I don't understand why she don't see this. I don't understand why she don't understand. She's doing the same thing to me. It's because we're, we have different ways of communicating to each other. Are y'all with me? So this language deal is why you hear a lot of times you will hear couples say, it's not what you're saying, it's how you're saying it. Okay, it's different language styles or communication styles, and you have to be teachable to understand people because all of us communicate differently. Here's number four, mission or calls. Everybody say mission. Write this down. The kingdom mission is restorative. Everything we say and build as Christians is shaped by restoration. Everything is restoration. Luke 17, 20 and 21, when Jesus was asked when the kingdom would come, he answered and said this. We have that verse. The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is where? It's within you. This is what he's saying. It's it's here. It's right now. This is powerful truth that we have to take with us as we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is to understand the kingdom begins from within, not from without. Jesus is in Jericho preaching 10 days before his crucifixion. In Luke 19, verse 10, have you ever heard of a man named Zacchaeus? Okay, the wee little man we sang in Sunday school. Okay, he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Okay, he climbed up in the tree to seek Jesus out. Okay, and then Jesus says to him, the Son of Man came, this is verse 10 of Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What do we know about seekers? Seekers don't just come to look, it requires movement. That's why Zacchaeus climbed up in a tree, and Jesus has given them an example. He's teaching them here. Did you know Jesus is a seeker? We're called to seek the kingdom, and then Jesus seeks us. We seek the kingdom, Jesus seeks us. We seek the kingdom, Jesus seeks us. Have y'all ever sought anything, sought after something? You're seeking something. I was seeking a golf ball the other day on the golf course. A lot. (laughs) Then after Jesus says this, he tells them the last parable that he would tell them before his crucifixion. Now listen to me, this is the last parable that he would tell before his crucifixion. I want to hear what he would say. The last parable Jesus would ever tell, I want to know what that is. And in verse 11 of Luke 19, it just explains, they're looking for the kingdom, so when they heard thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what they're thinking of is Jesus is going to come in the natural and overthrow Roman rule, and they're going to take back Jerusalem. That's what they're thinking, in the natural. They're thinking little picture, Jesus is thinking big picture. Okay. I want us to read this parable, and then we'll close. Luke 19, verses 12 through 26. This is the last parable Jesus would ever tell on earth. And I want us to read it together. This starting in verse 12 through verse 26. 
He said, a man of noble birth went to the distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. I think the way you pronounce that is mina. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Well, that sounds familiar. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, uh, your mina has, has earned ten more. Next verse. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in very small matters, take charge of ten cities. The second man came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, sir, here is your mina. I have kept it and laid, away in a, laid it away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man and you take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. That's funny and I'll tell you why. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out... He's being sarcastic. You knew that I was a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Fair question. Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has, uh, has ten. Next verse, he replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. So let's break that down. When it says everyone who has, that means to take ownership. Everybody say take ownership. So in other words, everyone who takes ownership will be given more. The one who does not take ownership, what he already has and what I have given him will be taken from him. Jesus is telling them what I'm doing is depositing in you the currency of the kingdom that is to come. And while I'm away securing my kingship, I'll return to see what you've done with the currency of the kingdom. See, there are subjects here that are, that are servants, and they're servants, but subjects didn't want him to rule. This was the intellect and the religious of the day. I leave, he says, then I return to hold you accountable for what I've given you. Have you multiplied what I've given you? In other words, have you taken ownership of what I've given you? Watch this. They all got the same thing. He said, I knew you were a hard man, and you take out what you did not put in, and you reap what you did not sow. I find that funny, especially because he's holding what he gave him. And he's saying, you're not a fair man, yet he gave him something. Think about that. This is how the world talks about God. This is how we do. And God gives every one of us a mina. God gives every one of us something. And the question is, are we bearing it? What are we doing with what God has given us? This whole parable is about accountability. The kingdom expands, write this down, the kingdom expands individually. Taking what is in us and multiplying it. He took $1 and made it $10. And Jesus gave him 10 cities. That's crazy math and crazy generous on God's part. Can I hear an amen? I think people are always wait, waiting on someone to hire them or someone to show up and discover them. And the whole time, God is like, what are you doing with what I gave you? 
Does that make sense? What did you do with the small things that nobody would have even known or held you accountable for because nobody knew you even had that but God? And yet you buried what God gave you. We pray for God to give us something, yet ignore the deposit He has already given us. God is like, I'm not giving you cities because I can't trust you with cities. I I can't trust that you will do something and multiply it. I read the other day, and this is interesting and I'm closing, but I read the other day that all millionaires, these millionaires they polled, that these millionaires they polled all had something in common. And the one thing that all of these millionaires had in common, they all made their millions in different ways, but the one thing that all of these millionaires had in common was they got up every morning and they made up their bed. Every morning they would get up and make their bed. You say, well, what does that have to do with my inventions and my big ideas and my need to be famous? Everything. How you manage your private life is how God knows you'll manage your public life. Do I need to come back out here? Let's do it, just for fun. You want to be rich and famous, and you want God to do all these things, and God to use you miraculously, but you can't even clean your toilet. I'm meddling, she said. We want God to use us and do outstanding things for God, but we can't even use good personal hygiene. Can't even clean our bodies. I don't, I, I'm not trying to be ugly, but I don't want to hear anything. You, you know, the people get up on these soapboxes and platforms and want to share their, their beliefs. I don't want to listen to you. You stink. Why would I want to follow you and you can't even take care of yourself? You're like, well, that don't have anything to do with moving the kingdom. It has everything to do with moving the kingdom. If God can't trust you with little things, He will never trust you with big things. You know, I, people think I'm anal because of how I am with the property here and how you know I'm very particular about it and everybody gets weirded out over it. But the reason I am is because one day I'm going to stand before God and God's going to say, there was a little eight acres over there in the center of El Dorado. What did you do with it? How did you treat it? Did you multiply it? Did you expand it? What, what did you do with it? And God is asking, that's what this parable, this is the last parable he would tell before he went to the cross. He's saying, take the little things and multiply them. Take care of them. Treat them with respect. Show me you can handle the little things. It's, it's the whole word of, dis, of disciple. It's discipline. It's repetition. Oh, I'm just too small to do anything for God. Listen to Matthew 6, 19. Jesus said, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. To me, that is saying, look, I have given you everything you need to expand the kingdom. Now, what are you going to do with it? He's saying, whatever you allow down here, you're calling the shots. I paid for it with my blood. What are you doing with it? Jesus is like, I'm returning one day, and when I return, I'm going to establish my kingship, and when I come back, what am I going to find you doing? 
And the enemy comes to steal. What does John 10, 10 say? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, he's trying to deconstruct everything God created. God's a creator. And in the garden, he created. And, and the devil was like, I'm going to tear down everything God created. And so the enemy comes to tear down, destruct, and to kill, to steal, to destroy everything God creates. You know what the devil hates more than creating? Recreating. And when we recreate things and we restore things, and, and, and like this building, for example, when we restore it, that's kingdom stuff, man. That's kingdoms. When we pick up trash off the road, that's restoring the darkness because that's darkness out there. That's what's happening with that. It's darkness. And we're shedding light. Everybody say shedding light. Pastor D, would you come to play the keyboard and I'm closing? This is why... Uh, I don't buy the propaganda that the church is falling apart and that the world is, is, is worse than it's ever been, okay? Now, I do think sin is abounding, but the Bible says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound, okay? Now, listen to me. I do believe because of the Bible, the Bible teaches this, that the world will get darker before the coming of the Lord, and I believe that, and I teach that. But I do want to make you think today, Okay? I want you to think about all that has been invented since Jesus came to the earth. Think about before Jesus and think about after Jesus. Think about all of the inventions that have happened in our, in, in our world from 2,000 years ago till present day. Since Jesus came, we've had the invention of electricity. This is kingdom stuff, guys. You're not, even, you're not even connecting the dots. It's kingdom. Since Jesus came, we've have, we have electricity. We have transportation. Before Jesus came, 40%, four out of every 10 people were slaves before Jesus came, before the kingdom came. Think about that. That's why so much of the Bible is written to slaves and about slaves. Because many of them were slaves. But the kingdom came. And set us free. One out of every three babies in that day would die before Jesus came. One out of every three babies would die. The life expectancy of people before Jesus came was 27 years of age. If you stumped your toe, you could die because there wasn't penicillin and ERs and there was no hospitals before the kingdom came. There was no clean water, there was no indoor plumbing, there was no air conditioning, there was no safe storage for food. Since the kingdom came and is coming and will come, look at the progress that has happened after he came. Human sacrifice was ended immediately after the birth of Christianity. Schools and education were created, universities. Did you know schools universities, all of that was created for one thing. It was to teach people how to read the Bible. So you wouldn't have to listen to a rabbi or someone teach you the Bible and you were getting their interpretation of the scripture. They taught you. That's Christian stuff. They were educating you to read the Bible. It's the whole reason, the premise, why school and universities were invented. And now look at the hodgepodge of what's been created in our universities. And the devil's pushing down, pushing to us. It's demonic push and what he's doing is he's tearing down everything God established. Steal, kill, and destroy. Schools were created for the spread of gospel. 
the gospel um, to read the scriptures. Governing laws were there to protect us. Women were protected from infidelity, polygamy, and rape since the kingdom came. The story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told this parable led to the invention of health care, hospitals. Did you know Christians invented hospitals? Study history. Where did they come from? Come from Christians. Expanding the kingdom, taking what God gave them and multiplying it. Taking care of the sick and the hurting is kingdom stuff. Did you know that American wars, the great wars of America, that brought about great change? You know, sometimes change is messy. But these wars that brought about some of the greatest change America's ever experienced started from pastors standing in the pulpit like I'm doing today, preaching for change. The American Revolution, the Civil War, the Civil War was actually started by pastors who stood up behind their pulpits and condemned slavery. Study your history books. Well, well, we can't do it because they're taking them away. Because they don't want us to study history. They don't want us to know we have Christian heritage. They don't want us to know this stuff. They want us to have a liberal thought process. These people took what was given to them and they multiplied it. Let me ask you today, what are you multiplying? What is better because of you? What are you making better? Maybe you're struggling with addiction today. I want to ask you, how can you make a difference? And that's what you're asking. How can I make a difference? Well, can you start where the Bible starts with? Can you start with one or two people and can you make them better? Just one or two. My parents actually started this church with maybe 10 people. Maybe 10 people. Three blocks from where I'm standing, straight in front of me, is where this church began. Three blocks over. In a little church, that there was no money to even turn on the power. We had to take up an offering to get a down deposit to put down for the lights to be turned on. And now look at all of you here today. Look at 90,000 square feet and eight acres of property. Do you see how they expanded what God gave them? They multiplied. They took care of what God gave them. Jesus didn't say pray and wait out the clock until I arrive. He said, no, the kingdom come thy will be done. God has a will for you. I know there's a lot of negativity around prosperity preaching and I'm not for prosperity preaching and in the sense of how we think of prosperity preaching. As long as I'm alive and I can protect this pulpit, no one will ever stand behind this pulpit and tell you that it's God's will for you to have an $80,000 watch. Okay, I'm not going to do that, but I do want you to hear something. Prosperity and influence is what takes back the kingdom. We're taking it from the hands of the wicked and we're giving it to the righteous. So we may not like the principles of giving and teaching on tithing and all that, but all of this is to expand the kingdom and the devil has come along and diluted that and skewed our vision and we think prosperity is bad. Prosperity is taking back the kingdom. Everybody say the kingdom. It's taking territory. It's taking dominion. It's not about the amount of money in your bank account. It's about the daily bread that God provides for you. God wants to increase you so you, can, uh, so you can increase the kingdom, not your net worth, but he wants to increase the kingdom. The kingdom is about rest, rest, uh, restoration. God, how can I expand the kingdom? What can I do for the kingdom right now? 
as the kingdom come, as the kingdom comes, God will is done. This is our opportunity to enter the kingdom and the kingdom to enter us. Would you stand to your feet? Hallelujah. First week, our Father who dwells in perfection, holy be your name. Today is thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In other words, what can I do to take back territory for the kingdom? Lord, what can I do today to expand the kingdom of God? What can I do, Lord? God is like, I gave you Amina. What are you doing with it? Please don't bury it. Please don't bury what God has given you. Please don't think that your, your portion is too small. God is saying, take what I've given you and multiply it for the kingdom. Take territory. Take ground. Father, we love you today. I thank you for this audience. They did so well today, Lord. I'm so proud of them. They listened well. They were attentive. And I know it was hard and a lot of teaching and content. But, Lord, I'm so proud of my church. That shows me they're mature. It shows me they want to grow. It shows me they're hungry and they're seekers after you. And I'm proud of them, Lord. I know I gave them a lot today, but I'm so proud of them. Lord, I pray that you would take this word that I gave and you would multiply it. I pray, Lord, that people will take this word and go to their, their online and, Lord, they'll dissect what I said because I gave a lot of info and I think there's a lot of things we can pull out of this message to grow us. This is foundational stuff, Lord, that helps us grow. Father, I thank you for this awesome congregation you gave me to pastor. I love them so much. I'm honored and I'm humbled to be their pastor. I pray you would bless them. Bless them today. I want to close like this. If you're here today and you're like, Pastor, I just want to expand the kingdom. I want to expand the kingdom. Would you raise your hand? I've got both my hands raised. Lord, I want to expand the kingdom. Lord, I want to take what you've given me. Let's pray this prayer. Lord, everybody say, Lord Jesus, I want to expand the kingdom. I want to take what you've given me and I want to multiply it. I don't want to look at things and say they're too small. I want to take care of the small things so I can one day take care of the big things. And I thank you, Lord, that your kingdom is an ever-increasing kingdom. And I thank you for this message and what was deposited in me today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to join us next week for another encouraging message from Pastor Jason Yarbrough and One Community Church of El Dorado.